0: what the best therapists are, are the ones that pay attention to what draws the attention of their patient. And they leverage that for the good of the patient. So I'm always trying to gauge, you know, if a child, let's say, is really enter into Clifford, the big red dog, then, okay, let me tell you, and if I'm working on that child, getting him to walk, and he doesn't want to walk, Clifford is sitting on the other end of the therapy room, and I am using Clifford to get that kid to walk to Clifford. And games are like that for the generation of kids today. They are a powerful medium and it's shocking when you watch these kids, they will sustain and they will go from exercise to exercise to exercise much easier than in the clinical setting.
1: Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I'm your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today we are talking with Lindsay Watson about the future of physical therapy. Augment Therapy was founded back in 2017 when Lindsay, who is a pediatric physical therapist from Chagrin Falls here in Ohio, was searching for a way to solve the problem she was experiencing in her own physical therapy practice. Lindsay had spent years working with children and was frustrated with the inefficiency of treating kids just once a week with no real way to help them exercise on a daily basis for faster progress. And so with that, Lindsay set out to find a way to encourage and motivate children to exercise, and thus Augment Therapy was born. And Augment Therapy is an interactive software that uses the medium of augmented reality to engage kids to exercise. Using depth-sensing camera technology, Augment Therapy functions as a motivational tool, exercise prompt, and progress tracker for children needing therapeutic exercise with no headsets or other wearables required to use it. It can be used in the hospital or other clinical settings or in the home environment and really any place where added motivation is needed. Augment Therapy looks like a game to the child but solves real problems of exercise adherence. Its portability in anywhere, anytime access makes the completion of daily therapeutic exercise simple, convenient, and fun. I really enjoyed this conversation with Lindsay. Her passion for her work is infectious, and I learned quite a lot from her story as well. I hope you all enjoy this conversation too. All right, so so I would love to start with your entrepreneurial journey and really kind of diving into the formative moments that transpired throughout your clinical years that motivated this transition to entrepreneurship with Augment Therapy?
0: Well, I've been a physical therapist for about 20 years, and 17 of those years I've specialized in pediatrics, and it was my struggles and frustrations in my practice that really pushed me to found a company to solve those problems. The problems really were all around years of struggle engaging kids to do the exercises they need to do to get better. Uh, We basically now, what therapists do is we build elaborate obstacle courses, and we give out stickers and bubbles, and we're constantly trying to make the delivery of therapy more pleasant for children to get them to execute on those exercises. Yet, we still fundamentally require families bring their child to the clinic for multiple times a week for years on end, which is really difficult for families to sustain because the majority of the kids that we treat have chronic conditions. So I was tired of working through kind of just the typical traditional mechanism of care, and I wanted to do something different. I didn't really like how pediatrics is often overlooked, and I decided I was going to focus my energies on solving problems there first and then move into the adult market later on.
1: Got it. And for the, of all the problems you encountered, was it just, this is the one that spoke to you the most of those that you kind of experienced over the clinical years practicing?
0: Yeah, the the problems that stuck out to me the most were problems with patient engagement, patient experience of care, but also the delivery of care. So it was really that combination of problems. I felt like the tools we were using to engage kids were the tools that were designed to engage Older generations, my generation in particular, but they aren't the same tools that work for today's kids. Today's kids are motivated by technology primarily, and we can hate on that all we want, but it's an incredibly powerful tool for today's children, and I wanted to leverage that for some therapeutic good for the children.
1: So how do you take this problem that you recognize, you know, in practice— and and start to begin to work towards some you know mechanism to to solve it
0: well i i really began with just daydreaming while I was working (laughs) (laughs) at my other job. You know, I was really like I was constantly watching my own children game. And the children that I would treat would often come to me and ask for for specific games. So I would always bend those tools and make them work therapeutically in my sessions. But they were never designed for therapy in particular. So I would just daydream on how I would modify this tool or how I would modify that tool to make it better for therapy. And I was always plucking from existing technologies in my my daydreams each day. And I finally just got fed up enough that really all the reasons why I had told myself I could only daydream these problems away, that I wasn't qualified to actually solve them myself, suddenly became the reasons why I I should be the person to solve them which are that I'm just a clinician. You know, that was what I always told myself. I am just a therapist. I have no business starting a business. To solve these problems. And I soon realized that those were the reasons why I should be out there. And yeah, it was going to be a painful process of learning a multitude of new things, but that I was closer to the problems and felt them myself. So I was likely more qualified to solve them in the end.
1: Yeah. Often from just the, the conversations I picked up talking with entrepreneurs, You know, most people, I feel like if they have some impetus to start a company, they spend most of the time in that ideation stage trying to come up with an idea. But time and time again, what I just see as the pattern is that solving your own problem is just the best place to start for inspiration. And that is really like all you need to kind of get the ball rolling.
0: (laughs) yeah, I, I equate like the whole process of building a company as much like, you know, beating your head against a brick wall repeatedly, you know, <laughs> where the answer is is usually no. And that brick wall just does not seem to budge. And it it does take, I think, a you know, a bit of passion on a crazy level to anyone that would want to keep doing this over and over again has to be a little loopy, but has to have this passion to solve a problem that they know that they can eventually break down that brick wall. That was me, I guess I could say. <laughs> little loopy, very
1: passionate. <laughs> was there an acute catalyst to this or was it just this kind of accumulated frustration with the problems you were experiencing?
0: I would definitely say it was a a cumulative process over the years. And that was really what I, and also my, I turned 40. And so I was like, that's it. Like, this is my time. You know, now I've, I've dedicated so much of my life to therapy for the children, raising my own children. I was like, this is me time now. I'm going for it. So that was one thing. But there was a moment about a year after I founded the company that really, I think, changed my feeling about it from a passion to like my purpose of my life. I'd never experienced what therapy was like as a parent. But my own daughter, who was four at the time, came down with a sudden unexplained septic bacterial infection. She basically all of a sudden was in excruciating pain and couldn't walk and had no reason for why this happened. And so we took her to Rainbow to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And um, soon after we were admitted, she had emergency hip surgery, which it was a, you know, a life-threatening situation. She came out of that fine and spent six days in the hospital afterwards on high doses of antibiotics to treat this infection. Well, for the first time, I now was in this position of supporting my own child through the therapy journey. And the therapists there were incredible. She, however, was not feeling the whole therapy process. And she was what we would define in our world of a non-compliant patient. As soon as the therapist would duck their head in the room, she would start screaming, bad people go away, bad people. <laughs> um, and she was in so much pain and so afraid. Yeah. And they were doing everything they possibly could to encourage her because they knew ultimately that she needed to stand up she needed to do this. It was good for her, and she was fighting it desperately. At the time, the software only was in very early prototype stage, and I had been thinking about the software really just in an, as an outpatient school-based type tool, the setting that I worked in. I soon mm-hmm. recognized after watching what she went through that these problems persisted as well in the inpatient hospital setting. And uh, when we got home from the hospital, she actually became, and it sounds like a fake story, but it actually is real. She became yeah. our first test patient. Um, it was rudimentary at best, but it still worked profoundly. I mean, she Instantly did all of the exercises that she had been refusing. And she did it happily too. And that moment really changed things for me, where, you know, I would have joked in the past, like, oh, you know, not even a global pandemic would stop me from (laughs) building (laughs) this solution. And now we've been through it. But literally, I feel now where I will stop at nothing. Uh, to make this work and to put it in front of as many children and eventually adults as I possibly can.
1: Wow, that's that's an amazing story. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think it would be helpful just to contextualize a bit what exactly augment therapy is.
0: Yeah, Augment Therapy is, in short, when I describe it very quickly, I say that we deliver gamified therapy services and that we gamify the experience of therapy. And then we combined in it elements of telehealth and remote patient monitoring capability. How we do that as an all-in-one system is through an application on an iPhone or an iPad. And we use augmented reality to engage patients to exercise. We do that in a unique way. We basically do patient-facing augmented reality. The typical mechanism of augmented reality really means layered digital content over real-world images. Typically, augmented reality is world view. So you are looking through translucent glasses that allow then us to add a layer of digital content over that, and you're looking out at the world. Well, what Mm -hmm. we've done is we've taken that camera on the device and we turn it around on the patient. And then we layer digital content over the patient's environment. And we use that layering to engage patients to exercise. And simultaneously, we then capture data points on the child's movement. And we can take that and send it back to any therapist at any time. You can use it in real time as in a telehealth or just remote monitor and see what people are doing. So now we get a window into what's actually happening, even when someone is not physically present with a therapist. That's what we do.
1: Yeah, that, that's powerful. I kind of want to unpack a few things there because I, I, I feel like with especially virtual, but also with augmented reality experiences, it's always hard to kind of fully grasp what that experience is without going through it yourself but I, I think that paints a pretty good picture of, of what that experience is like. But just to kind of round it out. So the patient is kind of interacting with themselves, like when what they see on the screen is some mirrored version of themselves with an overlay of you know prompts for exercises.
0: Yes, that's right. Yep. We always feature the patient's own image on the screen. Sometimes we convert the patient to a digital avatar or a digital skeleton that we've augmented in a certain way. But we always depict at some scale within the software the patient's real image. And the reason why we do that is in therapy, one of the most fundamental tools that therapists use is actually a mirror. And we do that for therapeutic reason. Uh, The brain actually often in children in particular needs that visual feedback to know where the body is in space and we help reinfo- we help reinforce that pathway that connection between the brain and the body and we're just digitizing it basically through the software and then we up the ante with that digital content we basically gamify and make that experience engaging for the patient but it's just fundamental exercise at heart
1: yeah no it's really cool to hear it just it sounds like you know, this confluence of all these kind of buzzwords that we hear in the industry, you know, telehealth, augmented reality, but like really coming together in, a, in an impactful way. It is, do you think augment therapy is something that could have existed 10 years ago or it really requires these kind of leaps and bounds in, in the technological innovation that we've had over the, the last decade?
0: Yeah, even though it often sounds as though the company is super innovative, you know, gamified therapy has been attempted multiple times and it's been around, and we're not the first people to do it. So there's definitely an element of been there, done that. What we're doing is unique in the sense that we're combining multiple elements into one platform. That hasn't been done. But another aspect that's different about us is that we are accessible just through that smart device. That is an aspect that is right place, right time, where the technology has evolved to that level. Normally, in the past, you needed you know, high-level um, laptop equipment plus high-level cameras. Even when the company began, we started down that pathway as well. So we have evolved as a technology, basically on the frontier of the technology. Um, in the past, also, there's companies that have done it where they require, you know, big pieces of hardware in a clinical setting that's very expensive, where they're gamifying therapy, but you have to have that on site. And that's not really solving the problem of what does the patient do when they go home? We really need those touch points beyond just the clinical setting because that's where the real pain and the real problems are.
1: Right. Right. No, that it makes a whole lot of sense <laughs> when you just lay it out like that. I, I want to take one step back, and then we can kind of dive back into the the more you know macro level items here. But w- when you were starting this company, you know you've you've you know built the 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 callus on your forehead from smacking your head against the wall and and broken through the brick wall, and and you know you're you're going to take this idea that you've had from something that's daydreaming to you know a company. What is the the process that you went through uh, to to make that happen? You know, I imagine that the way you've described it, you know, there's a funding process. It sounds like some kind of capital was involved to build out an MVP for this. What was the kind of the original business model? Who you were trying to sell to?
0: Well, my, um, I'd say the whole process really began with several months that I dedicated to just research. My Dad was a tech entrepreneur, and so he taught me, you know you never go down any road entrepreneurial wise unless you fully research the market. And so, even though I was a quote, expert in my, you know read in my expertise, I still had much to learn. so i I researched everything. I researched the ecosystem of Building a business here as well. And I looked for, okay, where are the places that are going to help me? Because obviously I've got a very steep learning curve ahead of me. So I began seeking out the people that were going to help me because I knew that I was going to need a lot of help, basically. Um, So I started seeking them out. I bootstrapped what I could. I went to pitch competitions. Uh, I had no idea what even a pitch deck was. My 12-year-old son helped me with my first one because I had never done PowerPoint. So, you know, it was a lot to learn. And, you know, things started to pick up because I knew the industry. And so, you know, idea-wise, I was getting some traction, you know, I ultimately got into a program in Cleveland that was Plug and Play Cleveland, which was a phenomenal first step for us and gave us some visibility out there. Um, and at the time, I remember standing on the stage and they had announced many of the other companies in our cohort that they had collectively raised tens of millions of dollars. And I think at that point, and I was standing on the stage, I was really embarrassed about it, but I think I had raised about $60,000 at that point and I was standing on the stage. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't want anyone to find out <laughs> about that. You know, Now I'm actually really proud of that, that I was able to pull that together and do it with that little capital. So even though on the outside looking in, yes, it's an expensive endeavor to build software in this day and age and get traction in the market, but it is possible and I could do it. Anyone else can too then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. So coming out of plug and play, how, how does the business model actually work? Are the um, patients themselves paying for this? Is this something, is a service that's offered by the, the clinician? So
0: right now we sell to providers directly to mm-hmm. them. So we're enabling, particularly hospitals and enterprise uh, systems, we're enabling them to reach their patients anywhere at any time and improve their patient engagement and experience for their basically their customers that they have. So we sell to them now. The intention is over time that perhaps that will evolve into where we sell something to the patients directly, whether it be a wellness version of the solution. That could evolve over time. But right now, the primary focus for us is to sell to those enterprise customers and help those hospitals basically better care for their patients in any setting at any time.
1: And, and what has the reception been to rolling out of the product across the systems that you're working with? From an outcomes perspective, what what are the kinds of results that, you know, you would expect to see at this point?
0: Well, we've had a lot of positive feedback that we've gotten. We've had a feasibility pilot that we've run at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital. They... uh, presented at a a critical rehab conference at Johns Hopkins, a poster presentation about using our solution. And in general, the results showed what you would probably expect would happen with gamified software that kids have never had access to for therapy, where kids were more engaged for longer periods of time. They will sustain exercise and stay on task longer than outside of, you know, traditional mechanisms, Uh, it resulted in higher levels of satisfaction for the patient and higher levels of satisfaction for the provider because they were spending less time standing on their heads trying to engage the child as well. And we're now beginning deeper research in that location, other locations as well, looking at a multitude of factors that basically impact a patient's length of stay and their pain scales and a number of things like that, um, adherence to exercise in the home setting. So those are the kinds of metrics we're, we're looking at going forward. But overall, the, the response has been positive. Definitely to date
1: what are the insights that you can you know glean from the data that you're collecting that you you would likely forego just in an inpatient setting
0: well, a lot of the data really kind of just reinforces what's already out there in the market right now, which really hospitals are starting to pay more attention to this data around earlier and increased mobility during inpatient stays in the hospital setting. And hospitals are really interested in how to facilitate that without necessarily hiring an arsenal of therapy staff to implement these strategies. So. Now, the research is showing that when you get patients moving earlier and more frequently, that that has an impact on many levels. Uh, number one being their length of stay, but their outcomes, their functional status when they leave the hospital. Doing exercise after they leave that's prescribed to them has an impact on their readmissions. All of these kinds of really big numbers, hospitals are now recognizing that, you know, a lot of times that kind of culture of immobility, which was really designed initially to keep people safe. It was done for the right reasons uh, so that people don't fall during the hospital stays. But what has resulted from that is uh, some, some potentially negative things that now we're going to help them combat that, basically.
1: I'm thinking about the story you told about your daughter, and, and I'm curious from a resistance or like a pushback standpoint, you know what what is the kind of challenge that you're you're getting from people in the both in the market, but also in practice is is what augment therapy is doing help you know at at a at a broader scale you know have you know the the children going through this therapy be more receptive to it.
0: Yeah, the pushback we see is. You know, for the most part, the kids are on board right away. Yeah. You know, we do um, we do struggle at times with the teenagers that you know have the eye roll for life in general um so you know (laughs) we're we're working to engage them with more sophisticated content that appeals to that market but that's a tough nut to crack you know anybody that can sell to a 16 year old can probably sell to anyone (laughs) in the marketplace But in general, providers as well, the the therapists, that's tough. What we're selling to them is also a tough pill to swallow at times because they're really embracing something very new. My profession in general is very reliant on our hands. So we often feel that that's our number one value driver. And we don't use technology right now, almost at all. And so we're really taking them from zero to 60, which is a big a big jump to make. The pandemic absolutely accelerated that because that would have been our number one friction point prior to the pandemic and is a number one indicator as to why the rehab industry in general very quickly had to completely shut down. (laughs) Many of the clinics closed because there was nothing in place for them to render care remotely. So a lot of clinics adopted Google Meets and, you know, the non-HIPAA hmm. compliant platforms because they had to just to stay open. Now what people are recognizing is that it, by integrating some level of digital health, it doesn't negate the power of your hands. And there's no need to shut that down completely. But having virtual care options is smart, not only for patient care, but for your business overall.
1: Yeah, I- I want to pull on that thread a little bit. So in in the post pandemic world, do you see that there is a staying power to kind of the digitally enabled platforms and some of that skepticism or resistance of just this is how we've done it in the past as a kind of a, a justification for how we'll continue to do it in the future is there's a little bit less of that now?
0: There's a whole lot less of that. And we're actually seeing that and feeling that. You know, I definitely, the pendulum, no doubt, will continue to swing. But what everyone's recognizing now is that, you know, if you don't have these solutions in place, your business is at risk. And so you must have some kind of solution in place. I think what people are recognizing now is just any solution isn't enough. And so just, just any kind of um, video conferencing tool isn't enough to engage people long-term. And you need something that's going to sustain engagement if you're going to leverage these kinds of tools for therapy over time. Reimbursement does impact how these types of tools are going to be adopted long-term, So that will impact how the pendulum swings. But I think there's no doubt that this is here to stay to some degree. And I actually believe that tools that promote hybridized care delivery so that don't necessarily displace entire in-person care, those are going to be the ones with lasting power. And that's what we believe is the right way to go.
1: Mm -hmm. And when you think about lasting power, uh, and kind of the the future for augment therapy. Where do you see yourself growing uh, as a company? And you know, in kind of the a more immediate future, and really at scale, what is the the kind of impact that you hope to have in in the industry?
0: You know, we've we've set a goal for ourselves initially in the advent of the company is you know to be to help as many children as possible. That was our number one goal. Initially, And we want to obviously scale into more hospitals than where we are now. So that's a goal. We want to scale into even just any child that needs help facilitating developmental milestones. Our goal is also to expand into the adult market over time. We'd like to do that as well. You know, the geriatric population has a vast need right now as well, and we could help them combat the immobility and isolation that many geriatric patients are experiencing even more uh, these days. And so we have definite motivations to solve those problems as well over time. We just want to do good on a massive scale. That's that's our hope.
1: I want to kind of build on that a little bit because i you know just thinking about the pediatric space where kind of the benefactor of what you're doing is is children i feel like just from the outside it would be harder to have children you know advocate on behalf of your company as kind of like a sales force whereas were you to you know sell to you know the geriatric space and and older folks it would it i could much More easily see them coming to their, their, you know, physical therapist and say, Hey, hey, like I want an alternative mechanism. So I'm curious just how you've kind of approached working with children in that way where, you know, you have this, this product that is better, but maybe they, they are not necessarily their own advocate in their care.
0: And that's actually, I think, one of the big reasons why a lot of times pediatrics is overlooked in innovation is people look solely at market numbers and the size of the market and the hurdles that are obviously there in pediatrics that may not be there in the geriatric market my contention always from the beginning was that the pain felt in the pediatric market though overlooked, often overlooked uh, was more profound than the adult market even though the slice of the pie was smaller initially And what we have found is because we're we are attacking a problem that is just, There's just starvation in that market for some innovation, that their voices, they will raise them louder and faster in support of us. And we have an arsenal of parents behind us. And when you're advocating for their child and you're helping their child, they will scream from the top of their lungs uh, to support (laughs) you. And we have a line around the block of parents that are willing and waiting to do those types of things. So... I, I think we're basically seeing that kind of positive swell from the parents, and that's been a a great thing for us. We'll we'll get those geriatric patients eventually, hopefully cheering us on. But the the pain these parents are feeling, and and in just their care consumption over the years, we had to go for that problem first. We just had to.
1: Yeah, and on the gamification side of it, you know, you mentioned earlier, we seem to, as a society, kind of just discount technology if they really kind of in the form of video games and and gaming in general you know just from my own experience I can see how much I've learned from those worlds but you know what have you observed in gamifying the physical therapy experience what are some of the the takeaways that you've seen
0: well I've always felt that the best therapists you know on the surface skill is very important so the the best therapists have the most knowledge and have, you know, has multiple certifications and all those things. But really, ultimately, what the best therapists are are the ones that pay attention to what draws the attention of their patient and they leverage that for the good of the patient. So I'm always trying to gauge, you know, if a child, let's say, is really enter into Clifford, the big red dog, then, okay, let me tell you. And if I'm working on that child, getting him to walk and he doesn't want to walk, Clifford is sitting on the other end of the therapy room and (laughs) I am using Clifford to get that kid to walk to Clifford. And games are like that for the generation of kids today. They are a powerful medium, and it's shocking when you watch these kids. They will sustain, and they will go from exercise to exercise to exercise much easier than in the clinical setting where – between each exercise you have to give them a 5 minute break and let them roll around and you know walk out and get a drink and all these things all these tactics basically to kind of stall the therapy session but when you're working in a technological medium these kids will engage for a longer period of time and there's there's a multitude of research around what the power of games and play really are in the brain as well. The research I read recently, it said something like, you need to engage 400 repetitions to really get a synapse in your brain to take place. 400 times, you must repeat it. And when you're engaged in a game or play, 10 to 20 repetitions is all that is needed to create that synapse. So the brain is just hardwired for this type of thing. And we're leveraging this medium that, you know, is occasionally maligned for being bad, but we're leveraging it for some good for these kids. And I, I just, I think it's powerful and we should, we should capitalize on it.
1: Yeah, it, it, I fully <laughs> agree with that. I, I mean, I've just seen how through technology, virtual reality, augmented reality, people can do physical activities that they would not have even thought were physical activities just as a consequence of it being through a a medium of a game.
0: Oh yeah. Occasionally I get text messages from a therapist that is using our software right now and she will send me messages, little anecdotes of, you know, patient stories of what's going on just to keep me motivated because she knows I'm, repeatedly beating (laughs) my head against the brick wall. Yeah, there are
1: other brick walls after that first one. (laughs) Right, right.
0: Just, you know, she knows the the trudge. And so she'll tell me stories. And and she just sent me a text the other night that there was a patient who, it was really like a patient that – was having difficulty even standing up next to the hospital bed. And she brought the software out and the child did about 35 minutes of exercise in the software when she was struggling just to stand for five minutes. And it's because she was completely distracted and excited by what she was doing. And she was able to achieve something so much far and beyond what she thought was possible when we removed her kind of barriers of thought, and put it in something else, and it was it worked for her. So those are the stories I love and I cling to every day.
1: Yeah, they're they're powerful stories. A little outside the context specifically of physical therapy, but I often find myself defending video games as kind of a, a societal like thing that we have. And there is, there was a study recently out of Carnegie Mellon that I I often is kind of the go to where. The average young person today in America will spend 10,000 hours playing games by the age of 21, which is like the equivalent of time spent on education. And it's also, you know, thinking about like Malcolm Gladwell and 10,000 hours and to your point about how long it takes to form, you know, the synapses. It's just, it's a mechanism for some kind of alteration in behavior. And I think it is really powerful.
0: Yeah, we we definitely, you know, we can scoff at it all we want, but there's we've got to use it and the kids are telling us that we should use it too. you know I was always trying to modify Pokemon Go and yeah. YouTube videos um, that really just aren't designed for therapy, and the kids were saying, use this with me, I want it so I just listened that's all I just listened
1: yeah oh, that's that's awesome. When, when you think about some of those future plans for expansion wh- what are some of the challenges that you foresee in scaling the the company
0: so I would say barriers really are on technology accessibility you know there's Barriers right now, and just Wi Fi out there and bandwidth, and who has smartphones, and do they have the right type of smartphone? And we're doing everything we can to make ourselves and our solution as accessible to them as possible. Like, we're adding in features like multiple languages and avatars that depict children, you know, that have different abilities, uh, so that everyone feels like the software is inclusive. So we're working to solve all of those problems, but the technology barrier is still a big one. And it's one that I can't I can't seem to solve, even though I want to right now. So that is one that's out there. And we're just hoping and praying that that will get better, As we continue to grow and scale over time, because it definitely seems like all eyes are on those problems. You know, the digital divide that we all recognize that was even more pronounced when the pandemic hit because now children were struggling with access to education. So I think our government is now seeing and realizing the depth and breadth of the problem as well. And so I think as our eyes are more attentive to those issues that those problems will lessen over time, uh, that's really what I hope and need for us going forward.
1: Yeah. Reflecting on the last few years taking Augment Therapy from this idea to, to a company, what are some of the learnings and reflections that you have on on just putting this all together. And, you know, as as a first-time founder, you know, coming from the the clinical world, what, what are what are some of your takeaways?
0: Well, as a first-time founder, I would definitely say all the inexperience that I had ended up being a benefit to me because, you know, honestly, if I knew it was gonna be this hard or there are this many barriers, I may not have done it. Early on, you know, I may have just thrown the towel in early on. So my ignorance, to some degree, has been a great asset to me because I'm just trudging forward, not knowing that, oh, that might be a difficult battle ahead. I just go (laughs) for it full throttle, not knowing. And that's a gift. But yeah, that's what I would say for that.
1: How do you think you can get more clinicians to kind of run with that? I don't know if it's like a ubiquitous feeling and, you know, in your time, you know, talking with other, you know, people practicing in the healthcare space, if they have these ideas that they want to pursue, but feel that, uh, you know, kind of imposter syndrome that, that you described earlier on, is that something that that resonates that that a lot of these practitioners feel?
0: Oh yeah, I I beat that drum a lot like on social media and <laughs> things like that of like the power of clinician driven innovation cuz you're right. I mean there is an absolute wealth of ideas I believe that clinicians have right now and that aren't pushing the envelope on it because they're staying in their lane like I did for so many years and I am always beating the drum of that they should get out there and solve those problems because I do think that you know innovation may even accelerate more if the clinicians jump into the pond with the rest of us because it really they're the ones feeling the pain and so many times the people that are driving innovation are incredible minds but they haven't felt that problem and when you haven't felt the problem that really does change the dynamic of the company going forward and that there's there's just such a deep value to it so i think i think clinicians should absolutely jump in the water's warm <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess beyond the the kind of cordial invitation, you know, imagine a world where you kind of had the unlimited resources. Is there something you think that would unlock that potential and bring more clinicians to to the entrepreneurial world?
0: Hmm. You know, I think everybody is always trying to figure out, you know, initially the challenge was how do you work and build a company simultaneously? And that was very challenging for me. The first two and a half years I was working as a therapist. I would, you know, wake up at four in the morning, work for four hours, go to work, treat kids, come home, feed my family, and then I'd work the evening on on the startup. And I did that for a few years. I think if we could Figure out that problem, a lot more people would probably (laughs) do it. But, you know, ultimately, again, it comes down to passion. Like, if this is a problem you know would change lives if you devoted some energy and time to it, then more people would go for it. You know, more organizations, obviously, as well, that are designed to help entrepreneurs get things off the ground. I was lucky that I had a lot of mentors around me that were constantly pushing me forward and having good people, good voices around you is the best thing you can do. People that, you know, there's no real payoff for them to help you just out of the goodness of their heart. Like that's a very good thing to find those people that have been there, done that and have altruistic motivations there.
1: Yeah. Again, that uh, resonates. I'll come back to the other question I I had asked earlier. You mentioned the follow-up, but it was just any kind of other learnings that you've taken away from the experience over the last few years.
0: You know, I feel like I've been, it's been such a gift, honestly. Like I had no idea that I had this in me, number one. I was comfortable in my career. You know, it was, you know, maybe too comfortable. I was really strolling through (laughs) my career, feet up on the table, expert quote in what I was doing. But going out on a limb has been just completely invigorating. And I had no idea that I had this entrepreneurial side to me. And so it has just totally ratcheted up the color in my own life. So I would encourage people to just go out there and do it and try it because on the other side, it's, hard but it's just so incredible so incredible
1: wow yeah my closing question for everyone is ultimately trying to paint a cumulative collage of not necessarily people's favorite things in Cleveland but uh hidden gems things that other people may not know about and so with that uh that is the question
0: so I, I thought about this in advance so I was I'm ready with my answer <laughs> um, so my family we like to go to a place in Burton that is called Quintilia's tea parlor It's a tea room I, and I have two I'm married two boys and a daughter and my whole family we love to go there that's our special occasion and they make the most amazing soups and sandwiches and quiches. And it's just this little tiny tea parlor. And it's really fun just to have a little special occasion with the family.
1: Wow, yeah, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Another another new one. (laughs) The collage grows. No, that's awesome. Well, Lindsay, I I really appreciate you coming on and and telling your story. it's, uh, It's very clear the passion and enthusiasm you have for for what you're building and the impact that that it can have, so from afar, I'm I'm rooting for you, and you. Uh, it's I appreciate you coming on.
0: Thank you. I really enjoyed it, Jeffrey, and it's it's nice to meet you, and I wish you well in your startups as well. And thanks for doing this for Cleveland. We need to highlight more people on their their trudge.
1: yeah as we all smack our heads against the proverbial brick wall yep
0: (laughs) Yep. a little loopy but passionate
1: (laughs) yeah well if people have anything that they want to uh, follow up with you about where is the best place for them to do so
0: Anyone can reach out to me on LinkedIn or they could email me. My email address is Lindsay Watson, L I N D S A Y Watson, W A T S O N, at augment two T's back, to back dot com. Find me there.
1: That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, so shoot us an email at layoftheland at upside.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland, at thetagan, or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please email us or find us on Twitter and let us know. And if you love our show, please leave a review on iTunes. That goes a long way in helping us spread the word and continue to help bring high quality guests to the show. Taken Horden and Jeffrey Stern developed the Lay of the Land podcast in collaboration with The Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Founders Get Funds and its affiliates, or actual and its affiliates, or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation, nor provided any investment advice on this show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.